en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skriftierlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Deel ons passie vir die lewe op 657 Radio Kansel en 729 Kaapse Kansel. Ja, en passie het ons beslis vir die woord van die waarheid. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17, and then the Bible says, sanctify them by your truth, Lord. That's what we endeavor to do in this program. Good morning to you, wherever you are. Skriftierlik, scriptural, tot en met 12 uur vanmiddag. Dis so 6 minuut oor 11, en ons saai levendig uit van ons ateliers in Kilnerpark in Pretoria. The tip of the spear, so to speak, as always, on a uh, Tuesday morning, Pastor Rocky Stevenson, they set up all his laptops and uh, screens and getting hold of all his Bibles and concordances. And Rocky, just a brief break there, my brother. Good morning to you. How are you keeping? Uh, good morning, Vainans. Uh, very well in yourself. Uh, <laughs> I am I am well looking forward uh, to the program and uh, he is ready, raring to go. Ons is reg moet die vraag, inskriftierlik vraag jy die vraag natuurlijk waarmee jy sikkel. As dit leefstijl vraag is, wat het ook al is, ergens het iemand in die woord iets kwijtgeraak wat nie vir jou sin maak nie. Nou het een baie interessante enige hoor oor, hoekom so, hier is die vraag, hoekom so die duivel, met die engel Michael gestreed oor die lichaam van Christus. Why would Satan fight with the uh, angel Michael about the body of Moses? That was a very interesting thing. Another interesting question that we received uh, through uh, social media. Somebody that asked, if God is omniscient, all-knowing, did he know that Satan would uh, sin and turn against him? And why would he create a creature like that? People are asking very, very interesting questions. And in this program, we search God's Word. Nothing but the Word. So we endeavor to bring the undiluted Word of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. And all you have to do is send those questions through to, here's the number, are you ready for it? Have you got your phone contacts open? Have you got a pen ready? Have you got a piece of paper ready? Get that ready for us. I'm about to give you the number and uh, you can jot down. We use it for all things and everything here on Radio Pulpit. So let's go. Here's the number. 082. Vodacom Network. Easy to remember. 082. Then 657. The frequency on which we broadcast. 657. Then the number 2. We say from the one to the other. And then 729. Which is our sister station down in the Western Cape. Of course, makes for a very unique number. It's 082 657 2729. Can't do it much simpler than that. Store that number and 
And if you want to participate in this program, you use that number. Go to your WhatsApp and uh, just type it out. And if I can just kindly ask you, please make reference of the scriptures that uh, you uh, that you're struggling with that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up. Just pop that in there for us. It just makes it a little bit easier here in a studio. Rocky, before we get to the questions, there's a ministry leadership conference that's coming up in Johannesburg, uh, run by Benoni Bible Church. Would you care to share a little bit about that? That's literally around the corner, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's on that's on Saturday, and anybody is welcome to be a part of that. We've got a number of people that have already signed up for coming to the ministry leadership conference. That's at Benoni Bible Church, 149 President Brandt Road. So if you'd like to come to that, it starts off registration at 8 o'clock on Saturday. It's a whole day conference. We've got five marvelous speakers that are coming through. We have a breakaway session where there's two sessions with ladies that are going to be sharing that as well. And so we're very excited for the leadership conference. It's going to be specifically on ministry by the Holy Spirit. So this is not just for pastors or deacons, but it is for anybody that seeks to minister in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a session that is going to be on the church by the Holy Spirit's influence. Pastor David McCrum, one of my best friends, is coming through from America for that. We've got a session on missions and the Holy Spirit. Pastor William Vaughan from Polokwane is coming down to teach us on that. Session three is on preaching and shepherding. And another good friend of mine who's been also on Let's Talk, uh, rather on Skriftilik before Pastor Edward Kanya is doing that session and his wife will be doing a session as well that day. Um, Pastor William's wife will be doing one on how to minister to and support your husband. And then we've got a session also on edification by the Holy Spirit. Another uh, brother who has been interviewed by you, um, Vainant, on I think on one of the Brandpunt or two of the Brandpunts at Tolofelo Kukuni. Oh, yeah, from so Bloemfontein. He's from Bloemfontein Free State Bible Church. He's coming down to do a session for us on edification by the Holy Spirit. And the, then Pastor Edward's wife, uh, Sue Kanya, is doing submitting and leading um, and leading in the Holy Spirit. And so submitting to the Holy Spirit as a breakaway session for women. And then on session five, we're looking at prayer in the Holy Spirit. And you've interviewed my fellow elder from Benoni Bible Church, Henny Mulman, before on I think one of your Monday programs. And so he, he'll be doing that session on prayer. So if anybody's interested, you're welcome to come along to the Ministry Leadership Conference. It's going to be a wonderful time. There's no registration fee. We budget for that as a local church. And if anybody does want to donate towards it, they are welcome to do that. But uh, we look forward to that. And then we're also rolling that out next week, Saturday, in Cape Town, as well as in KZN. Simultaneous. And um, yes, yeah, simultaneously, it will be on the 9th in Cape Town and in KZN, and I'm going down as one of the speakers for the the Durban part of that. And so I think next week, um, Skriftilik will be here in studio, but the week after that, yeah. we'll be trying a bit of a, a mobile Skriftilik on, as I'll be, I believe, in Kokstadt at that stage. I'm preaching also at New Germany Baptist Church next week, Sunday, Lord willing. And so we look forward to the Ministry Leadership Conference. All right. Uh, so that's this coming Saturday, the 2nd of March. Starts at 8 in the morning. Finish it at half past 3 in the afternoon. Closing in prayer. And if you want to find out more, I've just forwarded the, the link 
onto the Radio Pulpit WhatsApp link so it's easy for me to forward it to you. And all you have to uh, just uh, say there, Benoni Bible Church link, and I'll forward it to you. If you want to find out where it is, remember it's 149 President Bront Road in Benoni. This coming Saturday, attendance for free. Maar uh, as jy wil gaan, dis nie net vir pastore en dominees nie, and you'll be blessed by attending this, the Leadership Conference, uh, Benoni Bible Church. Right, so uh, let's start with the questions. We've had some very interesting questions from our listeners. Let me just get to the very, very, very first one, and uh, let's see if we can find that one and send it through to you. Uh, yeah, that is uh, morning. Morning, Pastor Rocky and Vainant says, "Can we? Can you refuse to baptize a person oh, yes. that has divorced and remarried and is living with the current partner? Because the Bible says, if you divorce, you must remain single. First Corinthians seven verse ten to seventeen. And if you are married again, you are breaking the law of which is sin. And if you baptize, you baptize for the remission of sin. Acts two verse thirty eight. So that's a um, quite a nuanced question. There's there's a couple of questions in that one question. So should we get started with yes, that one? Yes, let's get the ball rolling. And thanks okay. for bailing me out, there, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks thanks for that question. It, it is a thoughtful inquiry that that many may even grapple with. But let's delve into it. Firstly, First Corinthians seven verse ten to seventeen will be good for us to read, just so that our listeners can have that in their mind. It says this: "But to the married." I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does, and verse 11 is very critical, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. So there's the instruction from the Lord to Christians. Don't divorce. It's plain and simple. God hates divorce, Malachi says. But to the rest I say, not not the Lord, that if your brother, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and so he has this special uh, consignment in God's word regarding if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. So again, God gives this reiteration of saying, even if you marry to an unbelieving spouse, if they consent to live with you, you must not get divorced. So divorce is again off the cards if that unbelieving spouse is consenting to actually continue to live with you. And then he says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. There's a sanctifying effect that the believer has in the home. So Many people will say it's easier for somebody that's on the ground to pull the person standing on the table down. But according to God's word, when you're a believing spouse inside of the home, you have a sanctifying effect on that whole home, on your husband, on your wife, on your children, if you are a believer. And then it says, yet if the, un- if the unbelieving one leaves, verse 15, 1 Corinthians 7, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not enslaved in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. 
and so I direct to all the churches. So the passage in 1 Corinthians 7 does indeed discuss this matter of divorce, and it emphasizes the importance of seeking reconciliation whenever possible, recognizing that in certain situations separation may be inevitable if the unbelieving spouse chooses to leave. So what happens when you've got two believing two believing uh, people, the husband and the wife, and they are both believers, they are both under Christ, the instruction is very simple. Remain married. Yeah. Do not get divorced. That is God's command to us. And that is the command to every single believer that is inside of marriage. But then in, in particular, verse 11, when it says, if for some reason there is a separation that takes place between these two believers, then the command of God, the next command, the first command is stay married. But let's say somebody now does not stay married. Well, then it is stay single or be reconciled. That's God's command to believers. If a believer now has left their believing spouse, then stay the way you are unmarried or get remarried to your spouse. That's God's command to us. The passage then acknowledges that option of remarriage but places the strong emphasis on remaining as one is and reconciling to your spouse. The only kind of remarriage to the believing spouse is actually back to your believing um, husband or wife that you have left. So the emphasis from Paul then suggests this preference for individuals to stay single or be reconciled. And that's, that's the way that God has put it. So when it comes to baptism, and I think this is where the question becomes a little bit confusing in that sense, Acts 2 verse 38 does connect baptism with remission of, um, of sin in the sense that this is this picture of the fact that when you are baptized, you're showing the fact that you in Christ have had your sins washed away from you. The physical baptism actually points to that spiritual baptism that has taken place with Christ. You have been baptized into the death and the resurrection of our Lord from the grave. And so the gospel and the reality of what Jesus had done for us at the the cross, that is the picture that is on display when it comes to baptism. So it's crucial to note that baptism symbolizes the washing away of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. The baptism itself self doesn't wash away the sin. And that's a point that needs to be brought to bear. So each person's journey and circumstances then are unique, and there must be pastoral discernment when it comes to this. Because the question asks, can you refuse somebody from being baptized if they've been divorced, if they've committed the sin of divorce, and if they've even committed the sin of remarrying somebody else, can you can you refuse this baptism? And so my my I, I believe biblically there, there needs to be pastoral discernment because if somebody is living in unrepentant sin and somebody says, no, the Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that you shouldn't be divorced. The Bible does not say that you should get remarried to somebody else. If there's that problem and there's a rebelliousness inside of the heart of an individual, then a person's actually not yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ then it might be appropriate to actually prolong that baptism and actually say to that person, listen, we need to talk through some other issues here. But it may be that that person recognizes what I did was sin in divorcing my wife. What I did was sin in remarrying somebody else. But now what should somebody do when they sin? Should you sin so that you can get out of sin? No, the Bible's call would be stay as you are, but confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, First John 1, 9. 
So it doesn't mean that now because you've divorced, because you've remarried, and because you're now with a new husband or wife, that you should now divorce that husband or wife. No, just stop sinning. <laughs> stay as you, you know, like, stay as you are now. Be committed to, I mean, there's a mess that you've, that you've left in your wake as you've, as you've done what was right in your own eyes. God never intended that you got divorced. God never intended that there would be that mess. But somehow you and even your your spouse actually had pursued your own ways. You weren't going God's way. You weren't listening to what God said. So then simply admit it. Admit before God what you have done is sin. Because that's when you need a savior. And then you would be in the right type of a place to actually be baptized. But let me emphasize this a little bit more with what our Lord Jesus has said, because this is a huge topic. And I know that many of our listeners now will be listening with ears pricked, going, hey, what's what's going to be said here? But listen to Matthew 19, verse 7 to 12, because it's one thing Vainant and I are speaking about this. But listen to what the Lord Jesus says about this topic. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? These are the scribes, the Pharisees, trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to find a way to pin him down and to say, yeah, but Moses said this, but why are you saying this? And then he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. So what is the biblical answer regarding divorce? The reason that any divorce happens at all in our world is because of the hardness of heart of people. So that's something that must be admitted before the Lord. If there's been divorce that has happened, that's because of hardness of heart. Jesus says it that way. From the beginning, it was not this way. God never, ever intended that there would ever be divorce between man and woman. He says, and I say to you, and he says this in verse 9 of Matthew 19, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Jesus says this. This is not Vainant and Rocky on Radio Pulpit saying this. Jesus says, if you have divorced your wife for any other reason other than sexual immorality, and you get married to another wife, what have you done? You've committed adultery. Or another husband for that. Or another husband for that matter. That's God's standard. You've now committed adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. I mean, the disciples get exactly what Jesus is saying. And they realize even in their day that a lot of divorce was happening. And they're going, oh, my word, we're, we're in trouble. If this, is what, if this is what you're saying, Lord Jesus, there's been a lot of people committing adultery now. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Because the disciples are saying, well, then it's probably better that nobody actually gets married. You should just stay single. And Jesus says, no, there's a specific group of people that can stay single to my glory. And he gives that. And he says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who have made, were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Saying, no, that's not a command to everybody. There are certain people that would be gifted with celibacy, you yeah. know, that would stay single. There is an argumentation for the possibility of Paul having actually had his unbelieving spouse having left him because Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. To be part of the Sanhedrin, you needed to be married. So there's quite strong argumentation that Paul may have actually fallen into that category of 1 Corinthians 7 that we read earlier where the unbelieving spouse decides, I'm leaving you. 
because yeah. um, enough you know, Bible bashing. You know, yes, so like <laughs> this thing that happened to you while you were on the way to Damascus. I'm really not very happy about that, and I don't want to have any part of that. And yeah. she may have been what, part of that, almost the elite of Judaism, like Paul was. Yeah. Paul was part of that. I mean, if he had reason to boast, um, if anybody had reason to boast, Paul did in regard to his lineage even when it came to these things i mean he was even taught by that famous rabbi gamaliel and um so there is strong argumentation for that i, I tend to lean towards that argumentation although it's not explicitly said in and the it's new not testament said in scripture, no, um, yeah. but he stayed as he was he never yeah. took another wife he never yeah. you know but you've got somebody like cephas paul uh, peter who actually took his wife with him on his yeah. preaching uh, trips in that sense. Right. But then listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Mark's, Mark 10, verse 4 to 12, because this gives a further nuance on this. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote for you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You see the standard that Jesus says? He says, no, no. God has made you one with your wife. He's made you one with your husband. Nobody must separate that. Because in God's eyes, when he now looks, he sees you as one flesh. Because that there's a mystery regarding this. And in the house and, and in the house the disciples began questioning him about this again. So they weren't satisfied with what Jesus said outside the house. Now inside the house they start questioning him again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. So this is the standard of God's word. So the understanding of marriage is an absolutely profound representation of Christ and the church. That is the picture of marriage. And it's evidenced inside of Paul's writings, particularly in the book of Ephesians, where he highlights the spiritual significance of the marital union. And then considering that biblical perspective that we have from the Bible, there's caution that is warranted when it comes to the idea of divorcing, because the picture of marriage is Christ and his church. Does Jesus ever divorce his church? No. So then if you're a believer and you actually take part in divorce and you pursue that divorce, then you are pursuing sin. And if you pursue remarriage to somebody else after divorce, you're pursuing sin. You're doing something that the picture of marriage is actually not about. You see, marriage was never about your and my enjoyment or your and my pleasure it is about the picture that god has given marriage to be which is that of christ and the church and the husband loving his wife like christ loved the church and the church submitting to christ like the wife submits to her own husband so that's the picture of marriage now that gets that gets messed with and god is dishonored when it comes to divorce and remarriage and in that thing. Now, so what should we do? Yeah. I, I would say that the pastoral approach, even when it comes to baptism and those that want to be baptized, you need to explore these things. We have a very broken world. We've got to recognize this. And we need to be humble before God. We need to recognize if something is broken. We need to recognize if we've sinned against God. We need to recognize if we've lived in sin before God. Can it be fixed? 
I, I believe that much can be fixed. If there has been divorce, in particular between two professing believers, yeah. then reconciliation can be pursued. Right. Or stay as you are, according to what we see in First Corinthians 7. I want to ask you a question. Make it really practical. I know in person somebody, him and his wife, irreconcilable differences. They decided to go their separate ways, divorced realized that something spoke to this man, remarried again, realized it's still not working. They divorced again, and now they're living, well, the one particular individual is living with somebody else. Um, is there any way that one can fix something like this? Because it gets real complicated. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's definitely incredibly complicated. And what I would say there is that there has been a pursuit of sin. And that's why there's something called church discipline. Now, what's hard about church discipline today is the invention of the motor vehicle, <laughs> because that means that you can just drive down the road to the next church. And so often our local churches are not mature in regard to these things. And so something never gets pursued. But Matthew 18 talks about going to your brother when there's sin and actually pointing out, according to God's word, my brother is sinning against God in this. And sadly, many times people try and get out of the thing that they're in by committing sin. And sin never, ever gets you out of sin. Sin begets sin. Yes, there's a savior for sin. So we must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the answer when it comes to our sin issues in our hearts. But this individual, like you're talking about, if they've now divorced their wife, and they both are professing believers, now we're talking about... We never got to that point. It is not a question that they're professing believers. It is just the point. It's people in this world. You try and evangelize them. You try and share the gospel, and then this story comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would say if they were professing believers, the fruit is stinking, and it may not be that they are saved at all because the believer has a standard that is higher than the world standard. We have the scriptures. It's supposed to be. Yes, and we have the Holy Spirit who guides us. And we have a conscience that actually also works in us. And, I mean, Timothy actually talks about the idea of the good conscience. And he talks about if if you reject that, you can shipwreck your faith. And that's quite a scary thought, to think about your faith being shipwrecked by not listening to your conscience. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. God's word is written on your heart. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit who guides you. And the Holy Spirit is not pleased with sin. And so a person is convicted regarding this. But if if you're inside the context of the Christian church, there ought to be that care for one another where we're willing to go to one another and say, here's what the Bible says. And a Christian is somebody that submits themselves to Jesus. And that's, I think, where there is the segue regarding this question in regard to baptism. You've got to think back to what is the testimony that you made at baptism? At the testimony of baptism, you are saying, I've said yes to Jesus. I've said no to the flesh, I've said no to the world, I've said no to Satan, I'm going to go Jesus' way in the way that I live. Jesus is my Lord, I'm a part of his body, he's the head of his body, I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do. And so that's what you testify to at baptism. So that's where this question becomes nuanced in the sense that if somebody is choosing to live in sin, They've actually chosen to sin by divorce. They've chosen to sin by remarrying somebody else. And they actually don't see it at all. Well, then are you really submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Because that's what you're saying that you're doing when you're baptized. 
And that's why I think there's a pastoral wisdom that is needed. And that's why there's an importance to the local church and in particular to something like church discipline. Because the counsel of God's word would then be, well, sin no more. You know, stay as you are in that sense. Now you, you've, you've done this, but admit that your sin is sin and admit that there's a savior for sinners. And now come to Christ in that regard and live your life to his glory. Now, of course, there are consequences to sin. And that's part of what needs to be played out in a local church as well. For example, one of the very obvious consequences of that is that that individual cannot be a deacon or an elder in a local church. Or, because, or a pastor. Or Yes. I mean, an elder is a pastor and that's in synonymous. Yeah, right. yeah. but, but he can't be a pastor. You can't have a divorced individual that is, unless if that divorced individual reconciled with their original wife or husband. Because then that person is no longer divorced. And they are now, but if you have somebody that divorced their wife or husband and now remarry somebody else, they remain a divorced person. They are no longer the husband of one wife, as well as the fact that they've left a mess in their wake. They are not managing their own household well. So they disqualified on a number of, of levels. So there's a consequence to our sin. And part of repentance is actually bearing that consequence. And it bears that consequence to the glory of God. There may be a mess. But there's Jesus is brought to bear inside of that mess. Now they've got children with the first wife, children with the second wife. I'm using this as like an example. And there's a mess. But now this person who's a redeemed person has turned to the Lord Jesus, is able to say, you know what, the Lord Jesus, even through my weaknesses in this, he's able to be glorified. And I'm going to bring to bear the reality of who Christ is and the fact that I have a marvelous Savior, that though there is this mess, Praise God for the fact that he has worked in me. Now, even in the New Testament church, when we have First Timothy written, that was a time when there was much polygamy. And there were some men that were married to multiple wives. I mean, in our own country, we have some of the African traditional um, cultural, practices eh? yeah. and cultural and practices, cultural practices yes. that sometimes there's multiple wives. Yeah. And so there's the first wife, the second wife, the third wife. What should that guy do? Well, he can't be an elder. He can't be a deacon. But he needs to, he needs to honor, the, honor the responsibility that he has towards his wives, honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes the best of that broken situation to the glory of Jesus. Look after your children. Look after, you know, stay as you are Provide to God's you. glory. Yeah. Now, of course, there's going to be lots of mess. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of brokenness because there's a way that seems right in a man's eyes and its end is destruction. But the Lord Jesus brings about a redemptive element in regard to this. So what should we say to those that are divorced? Well, admit that divorce is sin and admit that you went your own way with that instead of God's way. And then uh, pray that God would help to even bring about a restoration. But the scriptures say that you can stay as you are in that singlehood. But, but there's responsibilities that you also have that you need to take seriously if you're in that type of a situation. So I think that's where it's helpful to have a local body of believers that you are a part of, yeah. where there's an eldership that you are part of, and that you can go and actually receive counsel and care in regard to such uh, complex matters like this. Nicoline Radebe, you really opened a can of worms here. What an interesting question, and not always what we like to hear. But then again, we're sharing God's undiluted word with you. Love the way that Rocky said, it's not my opinion, it's not Valen's opinion. This is what the Lord God Almighty is saying. Search the Scriptures to make sure if these things are so, so important. 25 minutes to uh, 12 o'clock scriptural, skriftierlik is waar jy ingeskakel is. Ons onderzoek die woord van die heren, en as jy jou vraag wil instuur, 082 657 
Frida Remley, I hope I pronounced your surname correct, Frida Remley. Good morning, Pastor Rocky. Please explain what is the meaning of the four faces, the face like an eagle, the face like a lion, the face of the bull, and the face of a man. Is there explanation in God's Word that explains that to us, give us understanding of what that means? Frida, let's uh, pass it over to Rocky and see what he answers us. Yeah, um, Frida, what is um, marvelous about this, and even the fact that you sent a question like this, I actually dealt with some of the four spirits before the Lord in um, in my sermon series this last Sunday in Zechariah. And um, Zechariah, what a marvelous book. Chapter 6 deals with those four spirits going out like horsemen. But um, we also see that that this is from Ezekiel. And so what you're quoting is in particular from Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. And, um, I mean, th- this vision is almost, you know, I mean, you can hardly even picture what the vision actually is. And I think there's a reason for that. God gives that vision of these celestial beings and these mighty spirits that are before him. And part of the point that God gives in regard to this is that he holds judgment in his hands. He holds the the movements of man in his hands in, in the passage in Zechariah 6 that talks about the four spirits that are before the Lord that go out as horsemen. And that was given to Zechariah's day to actually show them, but you're small, you feel insignificant, it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by the Spirit of God, and you need to get busy with rebuilding the temple. And that was in the time of Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. There were about 20,000 that had come back from their captivity in Babylon. Now Zechariah speaks to that, but also Ezekiel speaks something to that. And I do believe that one of the reasons that God gives us these these visions of these marvelous celestial beings is to just also show us that we can get busy with the next thing in honoring the Lord, the next step of honoring the Lord, the next step of being obedient before him. But part of the symbolism even represented of these different aspects of creation as well as of God's divine attributes is this idea of each of these faces that correspond to these living creatures. So there's a deeper reality that also helps us to see some nuances of God's character, God's greatness, his glory, his His beauty, the created world. So when you have like the face of the eagle, that re- represents the swiftness and the keen perception and the expanse of the heavens and it signifies God's omniscient view over all of creation. When you've got the face like the lion, the lion symbolizes that strength, the majesty, the royalty, reflecting God's sovereignty and his kingly um, authority over the world. That face of the ox or the bull is associated with the service and the strength and the sacrifice. And that face emphasizes the aspects of humble service and the sacrificial nature required in God's work. And even just the strength of the bull that brings about the harvest and The face like a man represents humanity and the humility as well and the rational aspects of God. And it highlights God's desire for this personal and intimate relationship with mankind. And so when you have these pictures inside of Zechariah and inside of Ezekiel and inside of these different places in the scriptures, it's it's meant to be transcended. It's meant to be higher than what we can properly figure out. Because then with that high view and even what we have with eschatology in the scriptures is meant to fill us with hope to be able to do the next best thing.
What is the next best thing for me to do today? I can do the little thing because God's got the big things covered. God is above all things. God is all powerful and it's meant to fill us with, with awe. And so these four faces together actually portray this multifaceted nature of God's character, his diverse roles within his creation. His, it's powerful imagery that Ezekiel gives to us. But it helps the people in Ezekiel's day to go, you know what, I can trust this great God. He is above all these things. The, our great God has these marvelous spirits that are before him. And even if they are, if they are obeying him, then I can obey him. And so that's part of the, the, the simple picture right. that is given to us. Frida Remley, thank you so much. Wonderful, wonderful question there. I think it's the first time ever in all these years doing scriptural that we had that uh, question. Next, uh, listen, I'm going to keep uh, uh, anonymous. Uh, she's asking a very interesting question. She says, one of the ten geboeien, and then she sends the answer in Exodus 5 and verse 11. Exodus 5 and verse 11. One of the ten geboeien says, you can't use the name of the Lord Further, not precies wees seker waar in die skrif het staan nie, sê dit toen hy opgespoor, en sê sê, as jy die heilige geest vloek, sal jy nie vergewe word, of ongestraf uh, laat gaan nie. Wat as dit in jou gedagtes is, en jy hoor dit, en jy weet dit is nie jou gedagtes nie, groot asjeblief help, hoe raak jy ontslaaf van sikke gedagtes, hoe weerhou jy jou van sikke walgelike, walgelike gedagtes? Rocky, would you do the English version of that, uh, just a quick translation, free yeah, translation? Um, and, of, and, and of the Ten Commandments, it says you are not to use the Lord's name in vain, and further, not exactly sure where it says this in the scriptures, but if you curse the Holy Spirit, and so that would be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven or not go unpunished. What what if in your mind you hear and you know it's not your own thoughts and you, in that sense, blaspheming, but it's in your mind, you, 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 know, you think to yourself, but this is not really me thinking this. Yeah. This is just there in my mind. Um, uh, can you please help with this? How, how do I get rid of those type of a thoughts and how do I stop myself from thinking such disgusting thoughts? Now, um, of course, there's, there's con- I think it's difficult to know the exact context of this, but one of the ways in which you are to, to put proper thoughts in your mind is by meditating upon the Word of God, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. Philippians 4, 8, as well as Psalm, chapter, Psalm 1, for example, the blessed man does that. He delights in the law of the Lord. Um, you know, Psalm 19 Talks of, sorry, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So as you hide God's word in your heart, you will not sin against the Lord. But when it comes to the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we the passage in particular is Matthew 12, 31 to 32, where it says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit against the Spirit, will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus is here speaking about what is called the unforgivable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The major role of the Holy Spirit is to is to convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. If somebody rejects the Holy Spirit and rejects 
the, the offer willfully and the offer of salvation that is given by the Holy Spirit, this is what is called the unforgivable sin. Yeah. This is the sin that anybody goes to hell for. And and I, I believe that this is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because what the Holy Spirit does, he inspires the word of God, he illuminates the word of God, and he highlights who Jesus is. No one can come to the Father other than through the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit puts Jesus on display for the world to see. The Holy Spirit, through creation, through our um, our conscience, through all things, actually points us towards Jesus. But if a person says, I reject this, I reject the Lord Jesus, that is the unforgivable sin. And why is that? Well, Jesus has died at the cross for sin. He has died so that man can be forgiven you believe of his it or sin. Not. And he has died for the sins of the whole world. Yeah. And God desires that every single man will be saved, Timothy says. God has made it possible that every single man would be saved because God has made the full payment. His sacrifice at the cross is absolutely sufficient for every single sin of mankind. But one sin remains that is the unforgivable sin. That is the rejection of that free gift of of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit highlights Jesus. And he says, believe this. Turn to the Lord Jesus that you may be saved. Turn wholeheartedly to him. Look to Jesus and you will live. And if somebody says, nope, stuff you. I'm not going to do that. Atheism. You know, that's it. Mm. The fool says in his heart there is no God. He rejects this. That is the one sin that causes a person to go to hell. Somebody said the other day, I'd never dare to call anybody a fool, but the Bible doesn't shy away from it. It's yep. uh, the Psalms 14 that says the fool. Psalms 14, I think, verse 1 or 2. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. Wow. All right. So what so, about the thoughts? So I think that the, the, the thoughts element of this, I, I, I don't believe that... Um, and I know that there are some Christians that believe the devil can work in our thoughts. I don't believe so at all. I think there's a reason that the Lord gave us thoughts and why he gave us a mind and why he calls us to be self-controlled. I do think we need to be shepherded in our thoughts. We need to become more active instead of passive in our thoughts. What I mean by that is you should not listen to yourself. You should speak to yourself. And that means that you need to know the truth of God's word and you need to let yourself bow to the scriptures. Because the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all else. We know that from the book of Jeremiah. I think sometimes we can give more credit to Satan than what Satan is due. We can blame things on Satan and we can say, well, Satan made me think that or Satan made me do that. No, you have an evil heart that needs to be subdued to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has made the payment for your heart. And so you need to confess when you've had thoughts that are disgusting, you, you confess that before Jesus and you even bring that to light. And sometimes you may even need to, in a fitting way, and that's James chapter five, confess these things to others where you bring it to light, where you say, this is a thought I've been having, and this is a wicked, wicked thought. And you're a brother that I can speak to because, and, and I would say here again, we've got to be careful. Brothers should talk to brothers. Sisters should talk to sisters. There's certain thoughts that you can't be mentioning to the other sex either, where you need to get counsel and pray. And the Bible tells us in James 5, you will be healed. You know, there's a healing that takes place because of a mutual confession of sin that needs to take place. Sometimes we, we put this aside and we think that this is a small thing. No, sometimes we need to actually talk to one another about these things and go to the scriptures with us and say, Lord, please change my heart, change my thinking. The, you know, David did this. He said, renew a right spirit within me. 
you know, cause me to not shun you, Lord. Yeah. And so I would say, um, you know, when we have wicked thoughts, that's one thing. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to reject the Lord Jesus and to live in a constant state of that rejection of the Lord Jesus. Now, the Bible also talks about those that are apostates. Hebrews talks about this, and I think that is an absolutely scary thought. And obviously, Cain comes to mind as the first apostate, and one of the greatest apostates is Judas. He was with Jesus for three years. He saw all of these things. He was sent out with the twelve. He had been given power to command out demons and to heal the sick and to preach the gospel. He was part of Jesus' disciples all along. Long, but he denies Jesus. I'm thinking Matthew um, 7, many will say in that day, did yes. we not do, Lord, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Miracles, no, miracles. Listen yeah. to what it says. Uh, speak in your name. Do miracles. I mean, Matthew 7 is absolutely it's frightening. Frightening, frightening, frightening passage. Yeah. When somebody even knows the title of Jesus, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Yeah. But there was Judas. He was like that. Yeah. He did that. And he had a repentance. Uh, rather, he had a sorrow that led to death instead of a sorrow that led to life. And you have contrasted with that, you've got somebody like Peter who also denied the Lord. I mean, um, Judas denied the Lord and he betrayed the Lord. Uh, Peter denied the Lord. Thankfully, he did not betray the Lord, but he also repented of that. And you can see the difference between sorrow that leads to death and sorrow that leads to life. And I think the encouragement regarding our thought life is you need to have a sorrow that leads to life. There needs to be a repentance. There needs to be a equal opposite that you put on. And, and I would uh, point you towards the Puritans and in particular somebody like John Owen who wrote quite a bit about something called the mortification of the flesh. I mean, who talks like that anymore? But the mortification of the flesh. We need to be putting to death the flesh that is in us. And we need to recognize that our thoughts are our responsibility. We thought that thought. You know, there are times we may dream certain dreams. There are things, you know, I think we can be influenced by, by many things. And I don't want to go as far as to say that we, we cannot be tempted in that regard. But, but when you think a thought, then, then you need to take your thoughts captive. And that's what the Bible says. And you must make your thoughts bow down to Jesus. Right. Uh, Ikasa says the authorities over us. We must play some music in this program as well. I've got something beautiful lined up. The other day I had quite a response when I played this song. And I'm playing it again. It's Joshua Aaron, Spirit and Bride. I trust that you will be blessed by it. The song is two minutes long. It's now uh, 11 minutes to the top of the hour. We probably got to ch- time for another question or two but we'll be back that's where you are radiopulpit.co.za 657am thank you so much for joining us in this uh, program thank you so much for all the positive comments that we're getting and thank you for praying for us in this uh, program ultimately you ask the questions we search with you God's word it's good to listen to us but you need to go and search the scriptures let's go to uh, one more we've got literally two minutes left one more question good morning brothers with regards to uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 you agree that the believer must distinguish between soul and spirit in order to ascertain the truth in the word uh, do you believe ne? have I got that right mm. w- with, the, with the question you willing uh, to go for that one yeah yeah um, yeah, so, so Tace, I think that the what we see there in Hebrews 4 verse 12 is more aligned with what the Word of God does. And it actually gives a, a big picture of the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it, it, it gives this picture. It says, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
and there is no creature hidden from his sight. And now it actually puts it into the masculine singular where it talks about the word of God. And then he says, hidden from his sight. This is the Lord Jesus that it's actually talking of. But all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have an account to give. So there is a nuance there that talks about the fact that we should be allowing the word of God to so work inside of our hearts that the word of God does that scalpel work. You know, there's that open heart surgery that God's word does with us. There is a debate between, in the theological world, between something called trichotomy and dichotomy. And that speaks about, some people will say that the man is made up of soul, spirit, and body. Others will say that man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. I think scripturally, we, and even from a passage like this, it holds to the fact that we are made of a material part of us, the body, and we're made of an immaterial part, the soul and the spirit. But the word of God is able to cut in between the body, joint and marrow, and is able to cut between that immaterial part of man, soul and spirit. His word is able to discern all of these things. His word is everything that we need for life and for godliness. His word is there for the physical side of us and for the spiritual side of us. And then he, and, and remember, we need to now give an account to Jesus regarding this because he is the living word of God. And so I do think that there is a push in a passage like this that we would come and lay ourselves bare before God's word and allow God's word to do that work inside of our hearts. And that's part of the point that I think Hebrews 4 verse 12 and 13 really speak to. Right, uh, Matthias, I hope that answers your question. Just in closing, thank you each and everyone that posted the questions, those that we didn't get to. Don't worry, we uh, uh, download them and we tackle them as we start a new program. Rocky, just in closing, a reminding of the Ministry Leadership Conference that's coming up 2nd of March, Bononi Bible Church. Mm, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm really, uh, one of the reasons I'm so excited is I get to have some of my best friends that come to to, to, to lead sessions on the leadership conference. But we also have that in the Cape Town and the, the Durban area on the 9th of March. So if you are in any of those areas, you can also sign up for that. But if you're interested, you can send me an email at past at bononibiblechurch.co.za. starts on the 2nd of March at Benoni Bible Church from 8.30 or rather from 8 o'clock is our registration time. And then Pastor David, one of my best friends coming from the from the um, America area. He's going to be preaching for me also at Benoni Bible Church this coming Sunday morning. And then uh, one of my friends from Free State, Solofelo Kukuni, he'll be preaching for me, Lord willing, on the evening service at Benoni Bible Church. So you're welcome to come to any of this. All right. It's 149 President uh, Brunt Road in Benoni. Uh, it's for free. You can attend it and uh, trust that you will be blessed by it. Rocky, thank you so much for this morning. It's three minutes uh, to 12. Time to love and leave you at 12 o'clock. Latest news locally and internationally playing out with Ann Wilson, something about that name. The name above all names, it's not Rocky, it's not Vaynant, it's not Radio Pulpit, it's our Redeemer, our Savior, our Master, our King, the Darling of Heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Till next time, keep well, God bless.